Last week, we got into chapter 7. It was a shorter message. It was about a, I actually looked it up. It was like a 24, 25-minute long message. Uh, this week is going to be longer. So I'm going, to, I'm going to warn you ahead of time that this is going to be longer. But it's all good stuff. It's all really good stuff. So we were in chapter 7 of Revelation. We looked at the who the 144,000 were last week. And uh, what we see in Revelation chapter 7 is the events that take place between the opening of the 6th and 7th seals on the scroll. Of course, the scroll is being opened by the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So before we get into this week's message, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity I have this morning to share your word. Lord, I pray that everything spoken Lord, I pray everything spoken would be influenced and guided by your presence. Lord, I pray that as uh, I preach this message, and some of it is a very tough message, Lord, I pray that hearts would be open and that ears would be opened. That we wouldn't just hear it and leave, but hear it and hold on to it. Let it resonate with us. Let us meditate upon your word. Lord, I thank you for those who are here and those who are watching online. Lord, I pray that you would bless them as they hear your word this morning and how it relates to their lives. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we were at lunch, and I think I said something like, let's pray for dinner. And I realized I had prayed like six times already for that, that day. How many know there's sometimes we pray, I pray more often than not, I think last week was a record. It might have been a record of six times. I'm not going to surpass that this time, but we always get kind of close. It's always a good thing to pray, amen? It's always a good thing to be in communication with God, amen? Amen. So, in the timeline of tribulation, where we're at right now, again, if you have questions, you can always go ahead and call or text or uh, send me an email. That would be great. In the timeline of Revelation, we're right about the three-and-a-half-year mark. The Antichrist has come to power, and things are not great, right? Humanity has been devastated by war and famine. If you remember what's been happening so far as the seals have been opened, and it sounds grim and sobering, and it is, but take heart because it's going to get far, far worse, amen? It's, I've talked about this every week. It's going to get far, far worse. This is not going to sound like a Thanksgiving message. Much of it you may be uncomfortable with this morning, but if you hang in with me, I promise you, if you hang in with me this morning, you will see the mercy of God, and for that we can be thankful. Amen? Amen. So as we go into chapter 8, the picture we see starts off in a very different place. The Apostle John, the revelator, the Apostle John who's being given this vision, he sees uh, something strange and unexpected happens in chapter 8. And it reads this, verses 1 through 6. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints 
upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to prepared themselves to sound. Now, that's a lot of scripture that we're going to we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning, and I want to break down what it means or what, how it relates to us. So the first thing John sees or hears is a time of silence. In fact, specifically a half hour of silence. So this is strange because until now, heaven has been filled with the glory of God, right? Heaven has been filled with worship. It's been filled with glory. The angels, the creatures, the elders, it's all worship. And now there's silence. This is an imagery. This is what John encounters. He encounters a silence in heaven. It's a time that history's been anticipating. The angels are watching and still, and the elders, they make no sound. And it lends itself to the gravity of the moment here. John estimates the silence to be about half an hour. And it must have felt like an eternity. It must have felt like an eternity. So I want you to do something for me this morning. If you have the, if you have the capability, I understand children don't always have the capability, so that's okay. But if you have the capability, I want you to close your eyes this morning. Go ahead, everybody close your eyes. And I don't want you to open them until I tell you to. Open your eyes. Now, it's pretty close in the count. But how long do you think that was, Mike? Three minutes? Anybody, uh, John, how, was, how long was that? About three. Bobby? Yeah. It was one minute. It was 11.17, now it's 11.18. Isn't that weird? When you get lost, just just silence. 
Why? Because everything infiltrates our life. Everything for, I mean, media, music, everything comes at us all the time. So when we encounter silence, it always seems longer than, now I, now I can't imagine this half hour of silence. It's not comfortable. It feels drawn out, right? It seems longer than what it is. So think about John waiting and watching, and as each minute passes by, the tensions begin to rise. I noticed at about the 30-second mark, some people's eyes started to open. Maybe gave a little peek. What's going on, Pastor David? Maybe about the 45-second mark, now they're like, okay, now they're getting Nancy, right? And that's just in the minute. Listen, John doesn't know it yet, but the angels are waiting for something. They're expecting something. So what, do, what happens here? What deserves a half hour of silence? What deserves a half an hour of silence? What moment in time deserves this reverence? What moment in time deserves this unprecedented, unprecedented veneration? This holy time. Then John sees seven angels. They're standing before God, and they have seven trumpets. And another angel comes with a golden censer. Now, a censer, in case you're not aware, is filled with incense, and smoke pours out of it. As John sees this, he begins to hear something that begins soft and then gets louder and louder and louder as the smoke rises and the thunder of prayers come forth from the saints who have passed before. The Bible says the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. That's imagery. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the time of silence is now understood. The time of reverence is clear. Because what John is about to see and what the angels have been waiting for is about to happen. And what they're waiting for is called this. It is called the wrath of God. What they're about to anticipate is the wrath of God. The first of the seven angels lifts his trumpet and blows, and then we see what happens. Verse 1 of chapter 8 says this. I'm sorry, verse 7 of chapter 8 says this. The first angel sounded. The first angel, just the first. And hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now, this is a picture that's reminiscent of the plagues of, of Egypt. This is a picture that's reminiscent of Old Testament judgment of God. One third of the trees and all of the grass is burned up. Now comes the second trumpet, verse 8. Then the second angel sounded. And something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Verse 9, and a third of the living creatures in the sea, they died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, 
First, you have a third of the trees, and now a third of the sea becomes blood. The blood is caused by a third of the living creatures being dead. You have blood filling the sea now, and a third of the ships being destroyed. Now, before I move on, remember I said much of Revelation is imagery. It's figurative in nature, right? We don't see that here. We don't see that this is figurative. What we see is that this is literal. The devastation and death is literal. The havoc and the chaos is real. And so we continue in verse 10 with the third trumpet. It says this in verse 10. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven. Now this is imagery. Burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. Verse 11, the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. And now the fourth trumpet sounds. Verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. We're going to stop there for now. Can you imagine the devastation that's happening? Can you picture the destruction? Because it's not easy to look at. You say, Pastor David, this is the Thanksgiving message? Yes, it is. You'll see why. I dare say that it is not possible for us to comprehend the level of destruction. How many have ever seen a disaster movie? I've seen, you've seen disaster movies. You've seen The Day After Tomorrow is a disaster movie. Uh, that's a, what's, what's the other, uh, 2012 is a disaster movie, Armageddon is a disaster movie, you have all these different kind of interesting disaster movies that try to anticipate what may happen in the world. It's hard for us to comprehend the level of destruction and devastation. And it, there's an interesting note about how this devastation comes about. Is this just a miracle from God that just all of a sudden there's devastation in the world? Or doesn't come from man, guided by the plan of God? Does it come from nuclear war? Does it come from some sort of weapon of mass destruction we haven't invented yet? We don't know exactly how all this comes about, but we do know that the timing of it is dictated by God himself. That the timing of it is dictated by God himself. In Revelation 16, what we see is people who will experience the devastation and know that it's God. In fact, they will curse God because of it. You may be thinking, Pastor David, this is pretty dark stuff. Yeah, it is. It is pretty dark stuff, but it's not just dark. And this is what I want you to hold on to this morning. It is not just dark. It is a picture of the wrath of God. But more than that, it is a picture of the holiness of God. What God allows may seem extreme and violent and excessive. But his holiness is pure and mighty. When we think about the holiness of God, His holiness doesn't allow for evil to reign. And so while it may seem extreme, violent, excessive, it's because we fail to understand what holy truly means. That's why it seems excessive. 
That's why it seems violent. So because we fail to understand what holy means in our lives, we don't always have an understanding of this. So if I was to stop teaching for a moment and just preach to you this morning, it would be about this. It would be about the holiness of God. It would be about the purity of God or the righteousness of God. See, many, if not most Christians, like to talk about holiness, right? We like to talk about holiness. God is holy. Thank God we're holy, right? And most of us, we do so without an understanding of what it is or what it requires. We want easy grace. We want easy compassion. We want easy repentance. We want easy sermons. We want easy faith. We want pastors to encourage us only and lift us up to continue to live in our sin with no consequences and no accountability. And so that's what we do. We gorge ourselves on cheap grace. We have those who call themselves mature Christians who are shacking up together before marriage. They're engaging in sexual sin. They're teaching their children to do the same, but they're mature Christians. We have people that are mature Christians or call themselves mature Christians. They party like the world. They get drunk all the time. Anytime they are challenged, they close up their ears and they continue to live as they want to. I want to tell you something this morning. Pastors who only preach sunshine and rainbows are not doing their job. They are not doing their job. The directive I have as a pastor comes to me from the gospel. The directive I have as a pastor comes to me from the word, and it says this in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. So it tells me how to preach, how to be prepared, and how to be prepared especially when people stop listening. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4 says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, listen to this, when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away, rebuke, and exhort, and to do so with patience and teaching. Amen? Amen. Right. But it also tells me that there are those who just want to have their ears tickled. There are those who just want to have their ears tickled. Pastor David, just make me feel good. Just exhort me. Just encourage me. If you don't, Pastor David, I'm going to find a place that will. If you don't encourage me, if you don't lift me up, I will find a place that will. And so we have people leave to find pastors that will let them continue to gorge themselves on the myth of cheap grace. How many know grace is not cheap? Grace is not cheap. Grace is costly. Salvation is not cheap. It costs the son his life. We should not treat his sacrifice so cheaply this morning. Amen? We need to understand the holiness of God. We need to understand the purity that's required. Now, let me be clear. Our salvation is not attained by our purity or our righteousness 
or our seeming holiness. It is only attained by the purity and the holiness of the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Even the great prophet Isaiah said that his righteousness was as filthy rags. He said it's like filthy rags, but does that mean that what we do after salvation has no merit or meaning? Of course not. Because once we come to Christ, our good works are seen as fruit that come out of our relationship with Christ. Once we come to Christ, we're covered by the blood. No longer is it filthy rags. Now it is fruit. It shows growth. I like this. Uh, One minister said this. God can be seen as a father who sees a painting his five-year-old does. It brings home from school. How many ever gotten a picture from your child? If you're a parent, you know what I mean. It's a little finger paint. So they they, they bring home a finger painting. Oh, buddy, this looks so nice. Stick figures and rainbows. You go, oh, man, this is just, 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 why? Because four or five years old, that's very good for them, right? And so a, a, a father, the, 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 the illustration or the analogy here is that when a five-year-old brings a picture to a father, the father doesn't look at it and go, well, this isn't Rembrandt, right? And so he just, just uh, don't you think you could do better? No, he's five years old. No, no, the father takes the picture with all of its flaws, with all of its imperfections, and he puts it up on the refrigerator for everybody to see, right? Because that's what the father does with a five-year-old painting. Now, I agree with the minister in this analogy. I do. But there's something wrong when you have a 20-year-old bringing home the same picture. There's something wrong when you have a 20-year-old bringing home finger painting and rainbows. 20 years old, I would think there would be a question as to the man's maturity and growth if that's what he continues to bring home. See, those who only rely on their own goodness before Christ will undoubtedly answer to his holiness. Undoubtedly will answer to his holiness. But those who have a relationship with Christ's holiness, not our holiness, but with Christ's holiness, will have goodness and submission that flows out of that relationship. And therefore, goodness and submission is seen as righteous and holy and mature. If you call yourself a mature Christian, listen, you can't be satisfied with finger paints and rainbows. If you call yourself a mature Christian, you can't be satisfied with the finger paints anymore, the stick figures. It requires that you provide something more substantial. Our faith requires that you provide something more substantial. Here in Revelation, we see a world of humanity living in their own righteousness. It is a world of filthy rags. What John sees in Revelation is incredible suffering due to God's holy wrath. How many can agree? It's a lot of suffering. One-third of the earth destroyed. One-third, I mean, blood covers the seas, everything, right? And the rest is thrown into chaos. But remember, take heart because it's going to get worse. Say, Pastor David, where is the mercy that you were talking about earlier? I mean, this Thanksgiving message, where's the mercy? Trust me, you'll see it coming soon. Hang on with me this morning. Amen? Amen. We've seen the four trumpets, and now John hears an angel 
flying in heaven, and he has a message. Verse 13 says this. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So whatever happened before, now it's worth a messenger coming and saying, Woe, woe, woe. What just happened isn't anything to compare to what's about to happen. So remember, I said it's going to get worse, and it does. Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 2. says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall like heaven, fall from heaven to the earth. Again, this is imagery, but we're going to talk about it. To him was given a key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. So far, the first four trumpets are, be, are to be taken literally. This is literally what is going to happen, right? But now we get into very figurative language. We don't know exactly who this star that has fallen is yet. We will see that this is an angel, whether holy or fallen, that is on assignment. And how many know that God's will will be done? This is an angel on assignment and that God's will will be done. So what we also see here is what's called the bottomless pit. Most theologians would say that this is a literal, physical location, not a spiritual one. In fact, uh, for those who have speculated as to what it is, they would say that it is the center of the earth. That it would be a bottomless pit. So that's figurative, but where it is would be literal. No matter what it is, whether it's literal or figurative, what comes out of it is terrifying. Verse 3, it says this. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, nor any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, listen to this, but given authority to torment them for five months. Exactly. Torment for five months. Their torment, listen to this, was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. How many have ever been stung by a scorpion? I imagine nobody here. Uh, Steve, you used to live in Arizona, right? Did you ever see a scorpion? One time? How many ever seen a scorpion? Yeah, how many ever seen a scorpion sting somebody? I have. They got stupid YouTube videos about it. Right? And when it stings them, it creates a welt and immense pain in their arms. So imagine that these locust scorpion things, these creatures from the dark, are stinging you all the time. They're tormenting you for five months. For five months, Carrie. Carrie, I gave me a face, so I wanted to address her in this, in this sermon. Five months, they're torture, torturing people. It says this in verse 6. In those days, men, this is amazing, men will seek death, but they will not find it. They will desire to die, 
and death will flee from them. What we see here are creatures from the pit that are on a mission. Their mission is to torment anybody who is not sealed by God. Anybody who is not sealed by God. So we talked about what the sting would be. It would be fire in their veins. It would create welts on their body. They're permitted to torment us for five, or the unsealed, not us, the unsealed. They're permitted to torment the unsealed for five months, but not allowed to kill them. And so with this, we see a supernatural phenomenon. So I want you to think about this for a moment. For five months, you were tortured, stinging, burning, fire, welts. It hurts to see. It hurts to hear. It hurts to anything. is just pain. So to escape the pain, you want to end your life. So you grab a rope, and you get under it. You get you know, in it. And you dangle. But death does not come. So you grab a gun. And you pull the trigger. But death does not find you. Five months you're going to live in torture. Five months of excruciating pain. And death will not find you. They can only endure. Now, if this doesn't sound good, it's because it's horrible. And we're also given a description of this little locust creature and what it looks like. It says this in verse 7, The shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were crowns or something like gold, this is just the way John is describing it. We don't know if this is literal or figurative, but here's all we can understand. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they were sting and, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. Now, some people have speculated, what could this be? Some people have speculated, is there anything in this world that that could be to where it's not just a figurative thing, but we can understand? And so some have pointed towards helicopters. As is, could this possibly be what God uses to bring judgment? Is there some new technology that's being developed or something that's happening that would be a part of that. Now, I'm not saying whether or not it is. I believe it's actual creatures coming out of the pit. I believe it's actual creatures coming up out of the smoke. It says this in verse 11, and they had, they had as king over them, remember that angel that opened the bottomless pit? An angel, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose Hebrew name is Abaddon, and in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. How many ever heard the name Apollyon before? Or the name Abaddon, if, you, if you're familiar with the Left Behind series at all, there's a, there's a book named that, which is kind of interesting. But again, we're talking about specific language. We don't know if it's literal or figurative. i got to be honest with you. Whether it's literal or figurative, I have no desire to see it in person. I have no desire to see it in person. If you are believing in the pre-trib rapture, that's what's happening in this time, so you don't have to worry about it. 
If you're a mid-trip, I talked to a pastor this last week who's more of a mid-trip guy, or it was last week, he's more of a mid-trip guy, and so he wouldn't be experiencing this either, which is kind of funny. But uh, he goes, yeah, I just I think that's when we're going to go. I go, oh, okay, well, praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. We're near the end of the judgments. Mike, we're near the end of the judgments. Are you glad for that? It's kind of dark stuff, isn't it? It's kind of messed up stuff. We're nearing the end of the judgments in the sixth one. Verse 13 says this, And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. What we see here are four angels who have been waiting for the right time and they have a deadly mission. So the four angels, and I want you to listen to this carefully. The four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill one-third of mankind. To kill one-third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them is what John says. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the head of the horses was like the head of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, by which fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them... They do harm. Verse 20, but the rest of mankind, listen to this, who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders. They did not repent of their sorceries. They did not repent of their sexual immorality. They did not repent of their thefts. Jenny, would you come and play a little bit this morning? The mission of the four horsemen is to lead an army of 200 million. The mission of the four horsemen is to carry plagues with them by which one-third of all remaining humanity dies. How exactly, we don't know. By the plagues, for sure, but we don't know how. What we do see through the six trumpets, through all six trumpets, we see this. We see the judgment of God, right? Will you stand with me this morning? When we talk about the judgment of God, that's clearly what we see here. Judgment of God. Could you turn the music down just a little bit back here? Just because what I'm hearing. We have to remember that God is holy. Amen. His power is mighty. His love is pure. And though he came as a babe in a manger, he is going to return in victory and glory. Amen. But he isn't set to come back yet. 
And herein lies the mercy. You say, Pastor David, where's the mercy? I've been waiting for the mercy this whole time. Here is where we see it. We see tribulation. We see judgment. We see fire. We see torment of those who are on earth. But we also see mercy. And you say, Pastor David, where is that? Where was the mercy? So far through this time, only one-third of mankind has been destroyed. How many know God had the ability to destroy all? God had the ability to destroy all, but he held his hand back. God in his mercy holds his hand back. The desire to see people repent, the desire to see people come to Christ, the desire for, for Christians to act like mature Christians. Amen? He desires to see people repent. His desire is to be with them in eternity, not to be separated from them. So his mercy holds his hand back. <laughs> we watch as the, judge, the judgments happen. And then we see the, the people and how they respond. They dig in their heels. Do you ever discipline a kid? And you think, well, that'll make it better. And they just dig in their heels. They're just, Man, I'm going to do what I want to do. Mike, you ever have anything like that in your life? No, never. Never. Your wife might disagree. This is what we do. This is, we dig in our heels. They refuse God's mercy, and so we see more judgments will come. But God is giving them time, say time, so that all will not be lost. And that is the mercy of God. See, I know this is a tough message this morning. I, I get it's a tough message. But it is all braced up by mercy. It is all braced up by the goodness of God. It's a horrible end for so many that refuse his goodness. But it brings us this morning to the opportunity we have to receive his goodness. Amen? When we speak about the judgment of tribulation, when we see the wrath of God displayed on earth, we can be thankful this morning that we are still capable of receiving his grace. Amen? One minister said this, Jesus is patiently waiting to come back because he is giving humanity as much time as possible to choose and follow him. Jesus wants as many people as possible to repent and return to heaven. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. He is patient towards us. How many are so glad he's patient towards us? Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance say repentance. We can experience his mercy this morning. Amen.
We can experience his goodness this morning. You can experience his forgiveness this morning. So I want you to close your eyes for a minute. We're not going to do a literal minute like we did before. But I want you to close your eyes and just focus for a second. I want you to examine your hearts. Say, Lord, search me. Lord, search my heart. Holy Spirit, investigate my heart. Search my mind and my thoughts. I know most everybody here. I, I don't see anybody that would be called that I would call a stranger. And so I know you all love the Lord. Maybe those who are watching online, you say, Pastor David, I love the Lord. But I need to grow. I need to mature. I've been satisfied too long with finger paints and rainbows. Thinking that that's, that's okay. At least it's something. Remember, grace is not cheap. Salvation is not cheap. Our righteousness is not cheap. And so we should not treat it cheaply. So Lord, this morning we come before you and we pray forgiveness. This morning we come before you and we pray repentance. Help us to turn from our sin, to move forward in righteousness. Help us to live according to your word and according to your presence in our lives. Lord, remind us of what's on the horizon in tribulation, but remind us also of the mercy that is displayed in that you hold your hand back from judgment. Lord, let us be thankful for your mercy in this day. Let us be thankful for your mercy at this time that we still have opportunity that we still have opportunity to respond to your presence, to experience your goodness, to experience your majesty. So this morning, I want us to end with just a song of worship. If you want to open your eyes. Let's worship him this morning just one more time.